0: Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and you are listening to the Crowncast, the Wednesday Crowncast, where we have a lot to talk about because there's a lot going on. We thought we had too much to talk about when there were players incoming. We thought we had too much to talk about when we were winning football games. No! The club has thrown us a whole new bag of tricks as podcasters, and uh, here to do all of that joy with me today is Justin as ever? Hello, Justin.
1: Hey, Logan. Did uh, did something happen with Charlotte FC this week? Uh,
0: no, <laughs> actually, very very quiet week. Uh, as far as I can tell, they uh, maybe they even stopped existing. They they took a plane maybe. to Mars, uh, you know, just to make sure that nothing happened. Like they would fire their head coach, uh, which is what happened. Yeah, that's what yeah. happened. In case you have been living under a rock, uh, I know that a lot of you listeners have come here to. Uh, Hear us and our hot takes about the uh, removal of Miguel Ramirez from the position of head coach, along with a few of his assistant coaches at Charlotte FC, and we're going to give them to you. We're going to give you our hot, hot, fresh, buttery takes, but we're going to make you wait until the second half of the podcast to hear them because we are crazy. Does that sound about right, Justin? We have
1: we have a structure, we have a system for the podcast. We're going to keep following it. So we, we are going to talk a little bit about the 2-1 loss uh, to Seattle this past weekend, like we do every Wednesday podcast. We talk about the most recent
0: match. And we will remind you that uh, we're not going to go super deep into, like, analyzing tactics or anything about this Seattle match, because literally the only thing that could have made all of that completely irrelevant was them firing the entire coaching staff, and that's what they did. So... We are going to talk about what happened, but as to its relevance to our future, it really almost doesn't have any. We could go into the next game and see completely different players in a completely different system. Like maybe even Christian Kalina isn't in goal. I do think there will be a riot if that happens. But everything yeah, we're talking about.
1: We, um, would have to, we would have to ask some questions about the interim coaching staff if Kalina was the one that got better.
0: Yeah, I feel like he's probably got his spot locked down. But uh, let's go into it. For those of you who were not with us in the post-react for this one, I'm very sorry. Unfortunately, COVID has finally caught its way up to me. I avoided it for two and a half some years. But so if my voice comes across as a little gravelly or if I have to stop talking and uh, politely hand the problem off to Justin, my apologies for any, any audio irregularities uh, like that but we will try to keep it as professional as you expect from the crowd cast. The Seattle game. I think, Justin, the only thing... Well, we'll talk about the goals probably a little bit, because I guess we should do that. They were goals. Uh, The thing that I want to talk about at the game is that Ben Bender put on his probably performance of the season. And you and I both looked at each other afterwards and said, here's why. And we both feel that it is because he was given the freedom to move about that pitch. I'm not going to say with no rules, but he was kind of allowed to go where he thought he would be effective, as opposed to the Ben Bender we've seen in the last couple of matches where he kind of just sat there really high up in the field on the left and hasn't been able to make the kind of impact that we would have been hoping he could do. Uh, he looked really, really good in this game. Do you, do you have anything you want to talk about here?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the other piece that really helped this is we were faster in transition. Uh, when we won the ball back, it wasn't played back to the center backs and pass around and look for something long. It was turn, you know, let's let's find Andre Shinyashiki, Let's find, you know, uh, Jordi Osivar. And especially let's find Ben Bender and the fast turn and the push up left space around Bender that he put to great use. Um, the other piece that that I think he was given uh, freedom about, and it, it almost paid off a couple of times, was the, the willingness to just haul back and take the strikes. Uh, it, you know, he scored the one goal for Charlotte. Uh, it's a poacher's goal. He almost gets a second one from range. Oh yeah. Uh, just absolutely smashes one that Stefan fry manages to turn around the post, but,
0: and you could see in the beginning of the game, I mean, the first time he got the ball with even a hint of the goal, he immediately took a shot. And uh, I think, so all of this is kind of post reverse upside down three sixty speculation. Uh, that's a technical term for those of you in the uh, soccer football podcasting world. Uh, We have to kind of guess at this moment whether Miguel Ramirez knew his time with the club was up, and he kind of just put players on the field and said, go do what you want, I don't care, I'm not going to be here tomorrow morning. Or whether Miguel Ramirez said, hey, if I put on a really good display right now, maybe because he had to know, like, uh, he had to have some idea of what was coming down the pipe. Maybe I, I stall or, you know, I, I get more time in this position if if we put on a really, really good showcase and just told his best players, you guys have freedom, go do it. I don't know which one it was, but I think there are quite a few players who have benefited from this. I think Andre Yashinke benefited from it. I think, obviously, Ben Bender benefited from it massively. I think that uh, Jordy Alcebar ben- benefited from it. I think that Jalen Lindsay benefited from it. Uh, and we just looked more free. We just looked like we were allowed to turn the ball upfield and step past defenders and draw pressure on and pass it around and play one-twos and all that stuff that we love about football. You could see the players on the field loving it too, in this game, and <clears throat> that was really cool to me. That was a lot of fun to see, especially for it to come out as as such a good game for Ben Bender. I am going to talk stats for just a second, Justin. Just just a little bit. Can you stick with me for yeah. that? So we. Now been... I'm going
1: to leave right now. <laughs> just, oh,
0: let's go into it. He just gets up and walks away from the podcast. <laughs> what a guy. Uh, <laughs> So passing is one of those things that we have talked about in the season. It is challenging in a progressive manner. And we have seen the best performances from our players. Putting up progressive passing numbers of something like two a game, right? And Ben Bender in this game with this new freedom, he attempts 33 passes in the game. He completes 25 of them. That's a little bit better than 75% completion rate. But six of them are line-splitting, progressive, dangerous passes forward that help create chances to go at the goal. Just to give you some, some sort of sense here, the next highest-rated player on our team for that is Brant Bronico, who passes three in this. So he's more than doubled the next highest-rated player for this particular game.
1: His we've talked about Bronico's progressive passing before is is it's progressive but it's not necessarily threatening the the danger creating passing yeah,
0: yeah. um so we go on from that into his uh partner in midfield and if you look at uh i believe cuz it was help me out our number 8 my brain it was jordi alcevar jordi alcevar thank you so much it was jordi Alcivar with him in midfield who completes only one more pass at 26 passes, having passed 42 times, so having passed a lot more and completing only one more pass, makes zero progressive passes from that area. So you can see the amount of threat and danger that was put in by Bender in this particular one. It just looked really, really good. And he does come away with a goal. It's a tap-in. But if you watch just a few minutes later in the game, tap-ins get missed too. I, I think I have waxed lyrical enough. Justin, do you want to you wanna get in on this at all?
1: The only, unfortunately, thing I have to say about it is we did look great. We still did not win this match, unfortunately. Uh, we ended up conceding twice to Seattle uh, late, late in the match. Um... You know, the the first is an interesting one. We were having a little bit of off mic conversation about it, but the first is a a header in by Jordan Morris from across from from Christian Roldan, uh, and it's it's an interesting situation. It's an incredibly well taken goal. You know, we talked in the post react about how the two goals that that Seattle scores in this match. It's difficult to put a lot of blame, um, but we were talking a, a little bit before the podcast about you know, where if we were to assign some kind of blame or something like that, or maybe a player who didn't quite follow all the way through on something, uh, and, and you had something to say on that.
0: Yeah, so this was a question. I mean, as much to you as it was, yeah. I'm not calling anybody out here. We, being the analysts that we are, we we think about things and we ask questions. And in the review of that goal, we talked about how well, Uh, Seattle Sounders did to draw Guzman Corujo away with a really smart run to the front post. And uh, Corujo had to go with him. There was no choice. And behind him ghosts in the goal scorer. And if you look at that play, he is sitting off of the shoulder of the goal scorer sitting off the shoulder of Brant Bronico right before he takes his run. And Bronico does not go with him. And Again, analyzing tactics now is very questionable because it doesn't matter. But I don't know if Brant Bronico was supposed to be going with him because ultimately he gets left with like three runners alone in the box. Guzman Crujo gets that responsibility. I don't know if Brant Bronico was supposed to go with him. I don't know if Jalen Lindsay was supposed to come in from the outside to cover that. I don't know if the idea was just, hey, that middle of the, the pitch, we're just leaving to Guzman Corujo and hoping he can beat however many people get in there. Justin, what did it look like to you?
1: I will say that defensively in that area, I don't know that I've ever seen Brant Bronico drop in to that cover. It's almost more like a zonal marking scheme in the box there where that area is Guzman Corujo's. You, you can't, I don't know that you can really fault either of them in the in that case. Um, you know, the, uh, the situation is such that they really did overload that side uh, of the attack where Christian Roldan was crossing into, there were players that were sitting behind Jalen Lindsay, keeping him, uh, you know, from crashing in and and helping to try and cover Guzman Carujo almost gets his head to this. You know, he, uh, uh, he almost (laughs) clears this. This is an inch perfect cross to Jordan Morris's head. And, you know, then Morris is able to turn it in with power. It's We said it in the the post-react. I don't know that we can assign a ton of blame. I don't know that I've ever seen Brant Bronico from a system perspective, be told, drop in and and cover this area. Sometimes when you do that, you end up with defenders running into each other as they try and cover. Uh, Sometimes, you know, the, the reason zonal marking exists is to just say this defender should know they have this area that they need to cover. If a player leaves that area, they're, they're going to be passed to another, you know, defender, a, d- a different zone. Um But nobody from my team is going to run into me in this space.
0: Oh yeah. And a little bit off topic, I did want to just throw this in here because I just saw it. And that's something that makes me happy is Jordi Alcivar does get credited with a shot on target for his incredible free kick. I mean, it, it, that was an absolutely laced, incredibly beautiful, super powerful free kick. And I'm glad to see he does at least get get credited. You know, he gets a a shot on goal, if you will. Uh, but yep. anyway, sort of back to the the problem at hand. It does It does unfortunately find the back of our net. It is an incredibly well-worked play. We saw that they were going to attack the left side of our field the whole time. I don't think there was anything special about that. I think everyone knows... And now it's up to Charlotte FC, well, now it's up to a, a new gentleman, Christian uh, Latanzio, uh, to solve the problem of people attacking down that side. But that seems to be where the danger's coming from, and we're going to have to be able to do something about it sooner or later. Let's move on to the second goal, Justin. I don't think there's as much to say about this one, but I think what no. needs to be said needs to be said, and that's that it was a, a freaking incredible strike, and sometimes people hit freaking incredible strikes.
1: Yeah, you know, Kalina gets beaten by a worldie. Daniel Rios is stepping out and covering pretty well uh, on on Rui Diaz, the forward for for Seattle, and Rui Diaz just takes a couple of steps and curls an absolute beauty into the top corner. I think if there's anything here that, that maybe I've got a question on, and it's not about... Uh, you know, Charlotte or anything like that. All of this comes from a free kick. And here's the thing, right? It's it's not supposed to be a handball if the arm is in a natural position. But if the arm is away from the body, it's supposed to be a handball. That's sometimes a contradiction in terms when a player like Brian Bronico is going into slide. And, you know, I don't know if anybody here has ever run at speed and tried to slide feet first. Uh, your arms tend to go up. So Bronico's arm goes up. There's an attempted cross from Seattle. It hits Bronico's arm. It, it, they award the free kick, and that free kick is where this goal comes from. It's touchy. It's 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 one of those things that I think is incredibly difficult to be consistent on. Yeah. I don't know that I would have given it in this case
0: yes, because
1: yeah. I think the arm's in a natural position.
0: I will weigh in on this one, and I will say that my my basic rule here is if that was on the other side of the field would i have wanted it given and i think i can say that it is soft but i probably would have wanted it given his arm is not in an unnatural position but it does hit his arm and impedes the movement of the ball towards a dangerous area i i I don't think it's any fault of brant bronico by any means i think he is well within a natural space uh but Away from his body, the ball does hit his arm, stopping it from progressing to a dangerous place. And I think if that was us on the other side, I would be raging mad if we did not get that call.
1: Yeah, I mean, I am probably looking at this a little bit like I would love for us to get it all <laughs> going our way once, but... Uh, it, I understand why it's given. I don't know that in my my position I would have said, yeah, let's, we're going to give that one. So
0: uh, speaking of calls going our way that didn't go our way, hats off to uh, Joseph Mora, who in this game absolutely takes down a, a counterattack. I mean, just just runs up to him and tears him down on midfield and takes the yellow card but kills the danger. Uh, I I am here for that. I'm here for the intelligent use of taking a yellow card, not the dumb, idiotic uses of taking a yellow card.
1: Uh, I, I, Looking back at that particular tackle from Mora, I actually think maybe it, it looks bad because he is stopping a counterattack. I think he less harsh in that situation Really? because I think he gets the ball coming across the Seattle player first before he bundles the Seattle player over.
0: I I think he knows he's taking that player out one way or the other. I think he knows as he's hitting that guy, he's getting a yellow card for it, and I'm totally okay with it. It was the right time. (laughs) Like, very rarely will I say you should play a cynical foul, but sometimes you just have to be willing to take down the man, not in a dangerous way, which he doesn't do. You will never find me ever saying, that anyone should take a tackle on someone that is designed to hurt them. He brings that guy down soft as a butterfly, but stops the counterattack. And I am okay with that. Yeah. Uh so that is I mean, is there anything you really want to tack on to any of this? No, or do we I just mean, want to kind of say the Seattle Sounder game happened and we really don't want to think about it again?
1: We we said it. Sunday night, Monday morning, when we talked about this, I I felt really good about this game coming out of it. Like we we looked happy, we looked f- like we were having fun. It was a it was a good loss, the way uh, uh, Vancouver was a bad win.
0: Yeah, and I think we had a lot of players who put in eight out of tens, and I would I want to see more seven eight out of ten games, uh, even if they are because the coach has decided that he's just not going to exist anymore and threw them out there and said go have fun. Uh, <clears throat> Anyway, uh, another game that uh, you can hopefully be better than an 8 out of 10 at is uh, put on today by our sponsor. For those of you who are familiar with us, you will know that we are sponsored by AHA Disc Golf Shack. And if you live in Charlotte, you will know that Charlotte is one of the biggest areas in the world for disc golf. If you already play and you want to upgrade your discs, if you want to replace one of your favorites, you can go to AHA Disc Golf Shack, mention our name. Aaron, the gentleman who runs it, will give you a discount. If you do not already play, you can do the same thing. And Aaron, the gentleman who runs it, will take you out and he will help you learn how to play as well as as <clears throat> as well as getting you what you need to play. Uh, all, again, at a discount, uh, which is pretty great. I think that's pretty good. Justin said about enough of that.
1: Yeah, just, you know, a reminder for everybody listening, Charlotte is one of the best cities in the country for disc golf. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you haven't had a chance to play yet, absolutely go. Give yourself the opportunity to get out there and and discover the sport, discover the amazing courses we have around the area.
0: Sorry about that. So, uh, I think we have to get into the meat of the podcast, the juicy, red, beautiful meat and that is Miguel Ramirez out.
1: Yeah, the news hits uh, yesterday. That's Tuesday, the uh, uh, the right after Memorial Day, last day of May. And uh, it is, this is not, we, we should preface this by saying, this is not from the statements or anything like that, that Miguel Angel Ramirez decided that he had done enough with this team and was going to move on. Yeah. This is absolutely Tepper Sports and Entertainment, uh, and the president of uh Charlotte Football Club, Joel Labou, saying we are going in a different direction. We are not pleased with the current state of the squad, uh of the results, something, and Miguel Angel Ramirez, your services are no longer needed.
0: Yeah, he was uh he was very briskly. Shown the door, as was a a fair number of his staff. Either way, because big news comes like this, actually in football, it comes more often than you'd think. But uh, when big news comes like this, I try and get in on the uh, press conference. And I was able to watch the actual press conference uh, where they explained what happened. And somebody out there, I'll have to find them, put out a fantastic tweet afterwards that said, we ask questions in these press conferences to make sure there is no reason for debate, to figure out what happened, so we're not speculating. But it's safe to say we're speculating after that one because they said nothing in that press conference. Or yeah. at least, I think a lot of people said thought they said nothing. One of the rumors, and this is from a source inside of the club, one of the rumors states that there was a designated player who uh, really threw their weight around and refused to play under Miguel Ramirez again if he was still there when that player came back from international duty. Now, Justin, I'm not great at math, but we only have one player on international duty. Is that right?
1: We have only one player who had left by the time the announcement came out. To go on international duty. We only have two designated players. Uh, you know, the the verbiage that's been used, the words that have been used, do say designated player, not young designated player or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We only have two. And they're both Polish.
0: They are both Polish. So it is either Kamil Jaswiak or it is Karol Swiderski. And I think we can fairly strongly say it's Karol Swiderski. Would you say that's about right?
1: obviously you know we can't say anything absolutely but it would appear that way he had already left you know he left early to go on international duty as we mentioned sunday he did get married uh you know which is why he left early and congratulations to him for that but you know putting everything together it definitely seems like swiderski is the one who said hey i'm not happy with how this is going now additional rumors right, have come out since then. Most seem to be saying, oh, you know, well, I'm not... There were a lot of...
0: I want to cut across you really quick because I just want to add this one thing before we get into the other rumors. And that is, there is some reason to believe that what we have expressed so far is true. And that is because what they kind of let slip in the press conference, obviously they were unwilling to say exactly why he left. But they did say officially and this is assuming that nobody slipped up and said the wrong thing they did say officially it was not results driven that they believed the team was performing rather well for a expansion mls team at this point in their season and kind of in frustration he said that they were forced to do this uh, and i think that actually says a lot that Uh, somebody was bending the team's arm and forcing them to make this decision now, because I think we would agree that it's a little bit of weird timing for this to all go down. Justin, would you agree?
1: Yeah. I mean, so, so let's break this out into a couple of different things. Let's talk through, you know, some of the rumors, then the, some of the implications from it. And, and like, if, if, all of the rest of the rumors are to be believed, you know, it's maybe not just this one designated player who has a problem. There are reports that, you know, the locker room really had sort of turned against, um, Carol Swede- uh, against Miguel Angel Ramirez here, uh, that, you know, he had not really, uh, gotten anybody behind him. Apparently going back all the way to the, the, uh, some of the matches in Charleston in the preseason, um, he definitely hadn't made any friends in the front office talking about uh, at the beginning of the season, you know, we were screwed uh, was the term that he used, uh, some complaints about the fact that we didn't have uh, a dedicated training facility for the team. You know, there were definitely issues that that could be seen between ownership. There were some players that looked unhappy on the pitch. You know, I think that Swiderski was one of them that didn't really seem pleased in the positions that he was being put in you know we talked some about his attitude the way he was presenting himself on the pitch um and then you know the other piece that you got to talk about is his last job miguel Angel ramirez's last job at independiente Dan, you know only lasted like four months before again a supposed sort of player revolt and and you know maybe it's just that this guy does not have the kind of attitude to to make the players perform to their best.
0: So I'm going to ask a question here, Justin, and that is we have not really discussed the possibility of players downing tools. Uh, And for those of you who are not familiar with the phrase downing tools, players not really liking the manager they're playing for is not new. It happens all across the world. When they really, really don't like the manager they're playing for, they just kind of stop playing. Um, it is easier to replace a manager than it is to replace your whole team. So this concept of, of players just going, meh, I'm not going to get hurt for this. I'm not going to put 100% for this. It is it's it is seen across the world. And thus far, we have kind of been looking at player performances at Charlotte FC, especially Carol Swiderski, as... <clears throat> This player isn't really getting it done. They're falling off. Do they have the quality? Are they kind of, you know, are they just sparky? Do they, are they most of the time flatlined? But I don't think we've ever had the conversation of maybe these people are downing tools. Do you think that what we could have been seeing in some of the past was maybe some players downing tools?
1: Uh, you know, it's of course all going to be speculation, but sure, I think it's possible that, that, you know, if Swiderski didn't particularly care for uh, the the way he was spoken to or the way he was treated or anything like that, then then yeah, I can see, you know, maybe not playing up to his potential. One thing that that strikes me a little odd about that, right, is I feel like if that were the case, and if it if it is a situation where Swiderski and Ramirez really had not been able to get along for essentially the length of this season wouldn't Swiderski would he and Yazwiak know each other from the national team. They, they, you know, must have other friends in common on the national team. Would, would Yazwiak still have pursued a designated player position here in Charlotte? If Swiderski was, you know, that dead set against MAR right off the bat. I don't know. Um, But you know, there's situations
0: I mean, like... for for sake of argument here, what if it was Kamil Yazwiak? He has come into this team, I'm sure he came into this team expecting to be a starter. He hasn't started in some time. I mean, do you want to entertain the idea that maybe it's coming from the other side?
1: I mean, I, I think it's fair to, because, you know, the other thing that we've heard from Miguel Angel Ramirez is, is you know, oh, he's not quite ready when when it comes to Kamil Yazwiak, but... Players like Daniel Rios and Andre Shinyashiki get get brought in and are immediately thrown into starting roles. Uh it, you know, and and is there a question about what was promised to Yazwiak when we made him a designated player versus what what he was being given? And this again could be emblematic of a, a disconnect between the front office and the, the managerial staff if Yazwiak is you know, the purchase of Joe LeBou uh, and uh, the the uh, sporting directors for, for Charlotte FC rather than a choice of Miguel Angel Ramirez as the manager. You know, if he's getting handed, if Miguel Angel Ramirez is getting handed a player that he doesn't rate, he doesn't think is going to perform well, you know, they'll buy him. And then Miguel Angel Ramirez gets to choose the starting lineup. So there, there's, I think, a good chance that this is that this is Yazwiak coming back and saying, look. You know, I was told by the sporting director that I was going to come in here and, you know, one flank was going to be mine. And that hasn't happened. And and I don't understand why. And so I'm just, you know, it's a bad look for Charlotte FC if our designated player that we just signed (laughs) refuses to play for the squad, too. So,
0: yeah, it's not pretty. And I think one of the things that we can say realistically, and Justin, you and I have a little bit more experience with this. with our clubs overseas and that is it's so important that a sporting director an owner and a manager or a head coach have a similar vision because they are not looking at the same things one of them is looking at how it's a business one of them is looking at its long-term future and one of them is looking at its short-term day-to-day and if these three aren't looking, kind of, if they aren't looking to build each of those three points to the same goal, it can get ugly really, really fast. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that you pointed out this could have been a pick by a sporting director, that Miguel Ramirez just didn't rate.
1: You know, there's been a lot, I think, of of discord already between the ownership and and. ramirez's regime when he was here um it i just uh we're speculating i know but but my call here is this feels a little bit more like yas coming in and saying look i was sold on a particular situation coming to charlotte that hasn't been given to me and it's ramirez you know he's the one guy that's standing in the way um if if that is coupled with a little bit of discontent from some other players, you know, I think the TDRT's was told he was the number ten when he came in, and personally, I don't think the TDRT's has played at a level that that qualifies him to be the starter. But if you're told one thing by the manager and then given something different, it yeah, it's gonna upset you, and and you know, I think it can turn. It'll I turn think you can ugly, turn yeah. the 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 locker room against a manager if uh you know if you're seen that way
0: yeah i mean each of these players is going to have their own their own reaction i think one of the things i'm going to say here is turnover and managers is a little weird at this point in the season uh the timing is definitely weird but turnover and managers is not new for those of you familiar with uh clubs around the world if you're lucky that club has a manager that stays for three years. That's that's usually a successful manager. Um, clubs churn through managers now, and David Tepper has not been afraid to create turnover in his organization. I don't think this is a, a really bad thing. I think we're going to have to see where it lands. But one of the things that we talked about is there was some, some opportunity that uh, – Miguel Ramirez was kind of pulling what we call a Jose Mourinho here. Uh, Justin, do you want to kind of explain that?
1: Yeah. So so for those of you who don't know, Jose Mourinho is one of the – I'm going to put air quotes around greatest managers uh, in, in world football.
0: I think what you he said has there managed... is you're going to outright lie and call him one of the greatest <laughs> managers in, in world well, football.
1: So here's the thing. He did great things at Chelsea. He did great things at Real Madrid. It, it, you know, he just won, uh, it's European conference league, but he just won a major trophy in Rome for the first time for Roma in, in decades. It, it, you know, there are a lot of places where Jose Mourinho is loved. Uh, he has a very particular style though. And he has a couple of key characteristics that that he brings as a manager Uh, And one of them that that is particularly pertinent here is Mourinho has his own sort of cadre of PR people that he uses to leak stories, to put his own spin on uh, uh, things out there for good and for evil. You know, there are times where he uses that power for good and he becomes the shield That, you know, he leaks stories, he leaks quotes that put him up as the target for any, you know, vitriol from the, the public and from the press for bad performances and protects his players that way. Other times, he absolutely throws people under the bus. Other times, he absolutely, you know, leaks stories that paint him in the best possible light. And we say all of this because there is also some information you know, from from a source inside the team that Miguel Angel Ramirez may have had his own uh, uh, PR team, his own routes out to areas in the media to leak his own stories that did not mesh and uh, play well with the official party line from uh, Tepper Sports Entertainment and Charlotte FC, the club.
0: Yeah, uh, it's one of those things that... Officially speaking, nothing is wrong. But unofficially speaking, it looks really messy. And where it looks that messy, there's usually problems. Um, there's not a lot you can kind of do about it. I, I do think that there's a a statement that says a manager who is who wants to be the sort of... I don't want to use center of attention because... I think the manager should be bigger than any one individual player on a team. And I realized you, get, you can get into names like Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo where that's not possible. You know, those superstars are always going to be it. You have to build the team around them. The dressing room is around them. Everything is around them. But at a club like this, I think the healthiest way to have it is where the guy is the manager And everybody else plays for that manager, and they're either on board or they are off board. And the moment they are off board, they're gone. Uh, And maybe that's not the right way to say it, because I guess there should always be some sort of way back. But it has to be a way back through the manager. That person has to be responsible for keeping that that ship on course. And if he's not a strong enough figure, if he kind of gets pushed around by the players to keep that ship happy and on course. A strong manager is capable of taking the blows for the the greater direction of the club. And I guess that kind of leads us into my next question for you, Justin, and that is, what do you want out of a manager? So at a club like this, I mean, I think we can all agree Jurgen Klopp is probably not going to come and coach Charlotte FC. So... What qualities in a manager are you actually looking for out of uh, Christian Latonzo?
1: Well, I don't know that this is gonna come out of Latonzo. So so let's talk about it. I would love to see a manager that comes in and has a little bit more of uh personally I like an attacking style of football. I would like to see somebody come in that, you know, really sort of uh, let's the leash off some of these uh, attacking guys, Shinyashiki and Yazwiak and Swiderski. You know, I talked before about how I think that should be our our lineup of three up up at the top, and you know, turn Bender loses our attacking midfielder, and maybe, you know, let's try and score more than the other guy for once, because especially on the road, uh, uh, you know. Defending and snatching the goal has not worked out for us. So screw it. Let's bomb it forward and, you know, get it, get everybody into the attack and see if we can score more goals than the other guy. Um, I also think given what we've seen here, you know, uh, we need a better man manager. We need a a manager that's going to come in and, make people make our current players especially our big name guys feel better about being here in Charlotte make them feel more valued make it feel like their input to the club is is being heard more
0: there's um, there's a lot to be said about that ability to sort of put your arm around a player and say you're my guy but you've got to prove it like I'm on your side I'm on your team but you have to go out there and show me why I'm on your team as opposed to just sort of being like, uh, no, you're not getting it done. You're gone. I, I do think there's, there's a lot of that man manager. How do you, how do you keep these people happy even when they're not starting every game?
1: Yeah. I mean, I love uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a player. The, the biggest thing he had when he was Manchester United's manager was he was a great man manager. People liked playing for him. Mm-hmm. So you know it's it is the sort of thing where where I think that can be very valuable and like in any other sport you tend to see the pendulum swing back and forth between extremes and if you've got a heavy tactician who can occasionally yell at some players and make some people upset like Miguel Angel Ramirez or like Jose Mourinho at Manchester United you tend to see the pendulum swing the other way for a man manager the kind of, of manager who makes the players happier, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United. So maybe we'll see something like that for Charlotte FC. Maybe not here with Christian uh, Latanzio, um, who's going to take over as our, our interim manager, but, um, you know,
0: I, I will maybe say with one the next permanent. Yeah, one of the things that I want to jump in here with is, <clears throat> excuse me, I want a coach... Um, One of the things that I, I don't know whether Miguel Ramirez did well, but I thought I saw in the beginning and I got less convinced of over time was I want a coach. This team is not going to draw the world's best talent. We are an expansion MLS team. Last time I checked, our name is not Real Madrid. Our name is not Manchester City. Our name is not Liverpool. And our name and, is not PSG. So And our
1: name's not even LAFC. Like you know, as much as I love the city of Charlotte, we are not the premier destination in MLS for a lot of big international talent. Yeah. The, you know, we're not going to draw the big names in.
0: The way that this team becomes great is it gets a really good coach. And I do think there's an element of, of needing to be the guy as well as needing to balance that man management that's really important. But I think the most important thing is that they be a coach because this team gets great by finding raw talent that is young and developing them into talented 20 and 22-year-old players that can go out there and can fight with the best at the MLS stage. And this is going to be a team of fast Hungry, young, mistake prone players. But by the time they reach that, that sort of 21 to 23 age, one of two things is, hap- is going to happen. Well, one of three things is going to happen. One, they're going to be developed into such a good player that they're no longer going to stay in the MLS, and we're going to sell them to Arsenal for 40 million pounds or uh, 40 50 million US dollars. That is best case scenario, right? Because all that money hopefully goes back into the club and not just into David Tepper's pockets. Uh the if
1: half of if we got to sell on like that and half of the money comes back into the club, oh, we yeah. will be in a phenomenal
0: position. The the next option is that we develop players into their 21 and 23 year old form where they're starting to fit into reliable and they're growing into their peak years in that 24 to 27 range, 28 range now. Good players are getting older and we are going to have four years of a very well developed, knows the systems well, knows what Charlotte FC is about, loves living in the city, happy to be here, great player that we paid basically nothing for. And our cost associated with that player was, and we lost some games because they made some mistakes when they were 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. Uh, And that's a cost. Like, points are a cost. There's no way we can deny that. But the third option is, we develop players who maybe their skill level, their skill ceiling isn't high enough, but they get developed into professional young athletes, And then we sell them on to another league when they hit just before prime for a reasonable fee. And none of that is bad. But what all of that takes is a good coach, someone who can take a young talent and can see what they need to develop into their fullest. And that's what I want at this club.
1: It was starting to feel a little bit like for Miguel Angel Ramirez. And I have mentioned this when I carded him. Uh, I think after the second New England match or or uh, somewhere a couple of weeks ago, I carded Miguel Angel Ramirez. We looked good when we were playing sort of a 4-3-3, but we kept going back to the midfield diamond. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about him is it did sort of feel like, you know, less a coach that is there to develop players' talents teach them sort of how to play, give them the skills to do the tight passing and the dribbling that they need and and really, you know, grow them as, as individual players. He wanted the system to work. Yeah. And, and, you know, he is a manager who says we are playing this system and you will make it work or you will not play. And I don't think that again, you know, Uh, an MLS side in Charlotte, North Carolina can be a a place where a manager can go and say, we are going to play this system and you are going to make it work that way. We're better off saying, here's some good players. Like you said, let's coach them. Let's make them better. And then maybe let's sort of play a loose four, three, three.
0: Or, you know, a system that suits the talent you have maybe.
1: Yeah. But also, these are young players who are going to make mistakes let's put them in a system that lets them showcase what they can do best because that does a couple of different things it 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 helps their talent the most it helps their confidence the most if you say here go do what you do best in a system that helps suit that and uh, yeah there's going to be some mistakes in that but if you want to talk about selling players on and things like that you don't sell players on because somebody goes oh they're excellent in a four-four-two midfield diamond. No. You sell players on because you say they're good on the left wing.
0: Yeah. Or, or they're good
1: in central midfield.
0: Yeah, or they're very good at, at vision and making progressive passes. Their yeah. skills are what sell them. Um, we are sort of coming up on it here, Justin, so I'm going to move us along. I think you want to say a little bit on our interim manager, Christian Latanzio. Uh, do you want to tell us first and foremost... What is an interim manager, and what can we expect? And then a little bit about the man himself.
1: Yeah, so an interim manager is a very common thing in the world of football. Uh, these are managers who do exactly what the the title would say. They basically hold down the fort while we wait for usually the end of a season, right? Some type of long break where a permanent manager could be brought in, given time to understand how the players, you know, what players he has at his disposal get through some training sessions, stuff like that, and then be in a position to start actually putting a new, you know, an updated and reorganized squad out there. Generally, an interim manager gives you what we, like what most football leagues call the bounce. So we should hopefully see, you know, this improvement in play. It's less so about, oh, we've got an interim manager in and more so about, oh, the old manager's out. (laughs) we are away from the source of pain and frustration that may have been there before. It definitely seems like from the rumors, that's what's out there. Um, But you know, the bounce seems like the sort of thing that might happen for Charlotte. We might see some improvement uh, in in a very general sense. Um, Latanzio knows he's here to hold the fort down. Uh, This is a guy who has some experience in MLS uh, he was already assistant coach during New York uh, NYCFC's uh, uh, playoff runs uh, from 2016 to 2018, 2019, somewhere in there. Um, uh, assistant to Patrick Vieira, who uh, you are very familiar with from his playing days. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I think it's now, fair to say
0: Patrick Vieira has gone on to become quite an impressive manager. Uh, so, so that yeah. that's good news to know that at least. At least he's worked with somebody who we can say has really done it well.
1: Yeah, it, it, Vieira now the manager for Crystal Palace. Uh, they, you know, are are a solid mid-table squad, uh, consistently mid-table squad for in the Premier League. And Vieira looks like he's getting good results out of them. You know, it, it, he's um, he's playing a system that I think you know Christian Lattanzio similar sort of system. It's that 4231, 433. Um, it tends to be a possession heavy system. Uh so, you know, somewhat similar to what we saw with Miguel Angel Ramirez, but the possession in, in that type of four two three one does involve the midfielders more. Um so maybe instead of the passing back and forth just between, you know, Guzman Carujo and Christian Fuchs or or uh Christian McCoon next to him um now we're going to see you know brent bronico get involved more maybe we see franco or ruiz playing in you know that defensive midfield role next to brent bronico and letting uh possession you know progress up that way um i'd love to see you know if that if it is that 4-2-3-1 um i'd like to see personally ruiz and Bronico together sitting sort of behind bender with Shin Yishiki and Jaswiak on either side and Swiderski, you know, up top. Um, again, possession, but progressive possession. Uh, yeah, I think that's the lineup that sets up for us. And, you know, it, it, this club obviously didn't have enough Christians in uh, <laughs> positions
0: of, of power and influence. Yeah, and food, We're going to have Christian a McCoon. manager...
1: Yeah we're gonna have a manager now christian latanzio i i
0: I think we can reasonably say that if your name is christian there is a job at charlotte fc for you uh
1: christian mccaffrey was there uh just a couple of weeks ago pounding the drum uh you know representing for the panthers maybe you know maybe he can come out and uh be a super sub
0: for charlotte fc uh you know what if he scores us goals i'm here for it that's all i want absolutely Uh, I will go ahead and begin to wrap this up. Uh, If you have stayed with us, this has been a bit of a long one, uh, but, you know, big news. There was a scout to talk
1: about. There was was a little bit to talk about today.
0: Big news means we're probably going to have a big podcast. We hope you have enjoyed it. If you have any thoughts, please don't be afraid to reach out on any of our social medias, as ever. We love you for spending this time with us. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, we will talk to you again after Charlotte Takes Three Points from New York. Goodbye.